Welcome to the Motorhome Matt podcast. Caravans, campervans, motorhomes and more. It's the place to get hints, tips and impartial advice from the expert himself, Matt Sims. Brought to you by thatleisureshop.com. Join us on the journey with Motorhome Matt. Welcome along to the Motorhome Matt podcast. I'm Keith Gooden. And I'm Motorhome Matt. I ask the stupid questions and Matt, well, he's the expert. It's all brought to you with thatleisureshop.com. And make sure you do like and subscribe on your chosen podcast app. And don't forget to like and subscribe on YouTube too. Sponsored by our video producers, arabasecreative.co.uk. In this week's episode, our product is something a little different from Motorhome Holiday Club. We speak to Paul Kirby, the electric van man, and we hear your thoughts from the big show last month. But first of all, into the news, Matt. It's four weeks on from the NEC. Well, I'm still tired, I'll be honest. I haven't really stopped. It's been a, it's been a busy old month, I say. Um, we've seen an uplift in used motorhome sales uh, here and online across lots of dealerships. And I think people went to the show and probably thought, wow, that's a lot of money. Let's go and look at second hand. That was the theme, wasn't it, throughout the week in our conversations, was about the screen price. I'd never seen so many motorhomes over 200k. Dealers were reporting higher than average prices um, they'd ever seen before. So I think that's been a big surprise from the show, coupled with the fact people were actually buying them. There were loads of deals done. So the prices have gone up by quite a lot, by the way. I think somebody said on a podcast a couple of weeks ago that a 10% increase is a lot when you're spending 40 or 50 thousand pounds so they've gone up a lot but people are still shelling out yeah they are I mean one dealer friend of mine Aoife she reported that she'd sold three Catargos so far that week which is fantastic well done Aoife another uh, friend of mine with another dealership did over a million pounds worth of deals in one day uh, so it'd be interesting to know, and I'm sure somebody somewhere knows, uh, is how much money changes hands at that show. It will be in the tens of millions, without a doubt. Uh, of course, that relies on dealers revealing how they've performed. Uh, you know, many said they were sold it. You know, they'd sold fifty or sixty that week. Well, in reality, it's probably. Five. It's like a Hollywood age, isn't it? Just like your Hollywood age. It's like your stage age. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You say, you say I'm 35. Really? Are you no. that, that old? Yeah. I know I don't look a day over 34, but there you go. There we are. Brilliant. But no, that's been, that was the overriding factor, I think, for me. It was brilliant, wasn't it, to meet our listeners and YouTube watchers and shake their hand. And someone did actually say you were the most famous person they'd ever met. They did, indeed. <laughs> They've been living under a rock for the last 50 years. But With you. <laughs> never mind. <laughs> and the visitor numbers, they were quite impressive as they well. They were. I think I saw an email from the organiser. Record numbers, over 106,000 people visited the show that week. I still think it's the biggest consumer show that the NEC hosts. I, I'm sure that's the case, but it's just amazing, isn't it? And loads of people there for the first time. I mentioned it before in the expert theatre every lunchtime. Uh, the, there was an expert panel, which I had the privilege of being on. The number of people that stood up with their hand in the air saying, I'm a newbie. Uh, we're yet to buy a motorhome or we've just bought our first motorhome. And they had a question. And the number of people we met who spoke to um, who had just bought their first motorhome. So it's still growing. It's still as popular as ever. Uh, and it's great to see you know new blood, as it were, coming into this niche. Impressive figures for the NEC. But of course, this podcast has more followers than Six thousand. Just saying. Just imagine if everyone got together that was listening to this in one place. That would be good, wouldn't it? It'd be noisy, wouldn't it? You're thinking of a Christmas party? Let's do it. Let's do it. (laughs) Round at your house. 
No, you, you've got the mansion, haven't you, with the fantastic views? Mansion? Yeah. We've got an amazing view. It's not a mansion. Yeah. It is a lovely view. How many cars? How many cars is that? <laughs> yeah, let's not talk about yeah, that. Yeah, let's cars. not talk about that one. It's the Motorhome Matt podcast with me, Keith Gooden. And with me, Motorhome Matt. It's brought to you with that leisureshop.com. This week, we've got a product over a week, which isn't a thing you can feel, which you can touch, you can't hold in your hands and hold it up to the light and admire it. It's not a thing. It's a concept, Matt. What's your, <laughs> what's your concept product? So as you'll know, if you're listening to this or watching it, I own Motorhome Holiday Company, which is our motorhome hire and sales business. And for a long time, we wanted to launch a loyalty plan. Uh, and we have. We've done it. It's called Motorhome Holiday Club and you pay to join the club and get access to some amazing savings on your motorhome holidays. If you're looking to hire a motorhome, uh, we offer you up to half price off weekends away, out of season particularly, and especially some short notice deals, 15% off your booking for next year. So if you've not bought a motorhome and you're thinking, let's just hire one for a bit, this is a great way to save money. And in two weekends away, you'd pay for your membership fee. So membership carries a fee of four hundred. £197, but there's a whole load of savings uh, you can benefit from by being in the club. So picking up early, returning late, giving you that flexibility, a second driver and taking the dog at no extra cost and a number of other benefits too. So you can find out more at motorhomeholidaycompany.com forward slash club. £497, not 496 or 498 That's a very <laughs> exact figure. Why didn't you just round it up to 499 <laughs> has to have a seven in it. £497. <laughs> See, we're already £2 cheaper than you. If you want to find out more, what should uh, people do? Yeah, go to motorhomeholidaycompany.com forward slash club. It's the Motorhome Matt podcast with me, Keith Gooden. And with me, Motorhome Matt. Brought to you with that leisureshop.com. And let's talk about uh, what's coming up later. Our guest interview with Paul Kirby, the electric van man. But first, uh, Matt, you're talking about a thousand motorhomes at the NEC, but only one electric powered one. Well, as far as I could see, that was the case. Yeah, Bailey Endeavour EV was there. Uh, the one we featured in a video and did a review of recently. And you can't buy it. You can't buy it. That's very true. It's purely a, a prototype. But I'm told over a thousand vehicles, so that probably included caravans as well, but I didn't see any other EV-based motor. Now, <laughs> you joked me earlier, this is your favourite topic, Matt. I'm not sure it is. It's, that's not true. But it's certainly a massive topic. It's toilets. Toilets are his favourite. <laughs> <laughs> well, camping. Oh, I said yeah. it. It's a, it's a big topic. It's a change that's coming. And frankly, nobody's talking about it. And, and that I found very evident at the show where this massive move that's, that's coming to motorhomes goodness knows when but it just wasn't represented at the show with you know with with manufacturers and and businesses demoing their future investment and what their future product might be so it, i just found it interesting that it was only bailey had taken the plunge and it was a big financial plunge for them sure huge investment but it was the only one Mm. I must admit, as an outsider to this business, I do feel that, you know, a, a lot of energy is being expended on EV, electric vehicle motorhomes with not much to show for it, Matt. Not yet. Well, you can't buy one yet because they're just not viable. But Paul reveals some interesting truths, some revelations in our interview with him. One of the issues with the Bailey EV and the Endeavour EV is obviously the range. That was the number one question. Eight miles. That's the number one question that the team were asked. What's the range? The other issue, of course, is you need a C1 to drive it because it is over three and a half tonnes. But Paul tells us about a new government derogation change that means that's no longer going to be the case. A what, a 
a negation, a derogation. So it's like a classification of a vehicle weight. So I'll let Paul explain. But basically, if the vehicle is alternatively fueled, i.e. all electric, we can drive it on a normal car license up to four and a quarter tonnes. Just for EVs, if you're unsure about what you can and can't drive, look at the back of your plastic uh, driving license and you'll see uh, all, all the categories that you can drive. Pricing, though, that's the one we're talking about. We've already yeah. been talking about these uh, traditional uh, motorhomes, which go for £100,000. Electric ones are going to be 20% more than diesel when they arrive, but it, that's already the case for cars, isn't it? It is already the case for cars, typically, yeah. Uh, and there's lots of conversations about the used value of electric cars as well. Uh, it's been in the press a lot recently. But it's interesting, talking to Paul, he has a, a prediction of what's going to happen to diesel-powered motorhomes in the future, um, and he thinks they're going to go up. Well, we spoke with Paul Kirby, the electric van man, at the NEC Motorhome and Caravan Show. So you are the electric van man. You are the expert in the EV world when it comes to vans. That's your bag. And you're a big, big influencer in that world. What are we in for, Paul? We, we see the e-transit. It's not viable. The range is a woeful 108 miles. What are we in for? Is it real? Is it 10 years away? I, I don't know exactly how far. What I do know is battery technology is changing at quite a pace. Yep. We're seeing different chemistries. That doesn't necessarily mean that we will see an improvement in range particularly. What we know is that Eveco have come with a four battery option which could get you up to, I don't know, maybe just over 200 miles. We expect the 4D Transit to come out next year with 235. We're expecting the uh, e-Sprinter to come early next year or mid-year next year um, with ranges probably into the 230s, 250s, that sort of range. I mean, they, they actually managed to get nearly 300 miles out of it in an American test. So mm. what we're seeing is there is a, a growth. I think we'll probably max out at 300 because of the weight of the batteries currently, but solid-state batteries might come where energy intensity will be higher and the weight of the batteries will be lower. So I, I think we'll get there, but... I, I think it's three to five years. I think technology with all the new platforms that are promised around 26, Mercedes, Ford, VW, all of those guys, um, dedicated platforms for commercial vehicles, and I think we'll see some, some real changes there. Yeah, and of course, EV's been in the news a lot recently, yeah. or constantly. Mm. Keith, we've been talking about Rishi's rule recently, haven't we? And this alleged change that Rishi's played to the consumer. I, I'm a cynic, it's a, it's a vote winner. We talk about the ZEV mandate. Um, Which is what? ZEV. <laughs> Zero emission vehicle ah, mandate. So, Paul, just explain to zebra us. Zebra elephants and voles, then. That's not what it means. <laughs> well, it might do no, in some circles. Yeah, yeah. yeah, so, yeah, yeah. Explain exactly what it all means to ordinary people at this show. Well, and I think that is really... You, you've summed it up brilliantly in, in the ordinary people element because what we've done is made a load of decisions at government level. So the, the 2030 deferring to 2035, when I actually really didn't actually change that much. So the ZEV mandate dictates how many vehicles or zero emission vehicles a manufacturer must register each year. So for, from a commercial vehicle perspective in the space that we operate in, it's 10% next year. It ends up at 70% by 2030. That hasn't changed. I so, thought it was 80%. No, that's cars. Okay. And we right. don't do cars. We don't right. do the C word. It's not... It's, <laughs> no. Yeah, but we have a C word in our... It's called caravans. <laughs> caravans. <laughs> 
So, so, so 80% cars, but 70% vans. 70% right, vans. Right, okay. And, and that's that's not gone away. No, no, that's exactly okay. as it was. But and is it true then, to jump in, mm. a car manufacturer gets fined 15 grand per car Correct. if they don't honour it? And 18 grand per van. Oh, wow. Right, and okay. nine grand for the first year. So there, there's been a little bit of a tweak in, in the first year and the second year around the numbers and the, the value, but 18 grand. So who's that going to get passed on to then? Well, you and me. Uh, yeah, well, that's funny enough, <laughs> isn't it? As usual. Have you got any money on money? it? Well, not anymore. <laughs> but surely they're going to just honour it. They're yeah. going to do it. Who's going to do it? The, the, the manufacturers. They're not yeah, going to got to. That. Yeah, they've got to. They're not going to pay 15, 17 grand per van. But when we look at the manufacturers and their plans, so Ford came out with a big statement just before Rishi made his statement, and they said, don't do it, Rishi. This, this isn't a good idea. And then immediately afterwards, they said, you shouldn't have done that, Rishi. It's not a good idea. And, and Stellantis, uh, who are the makers of like the Citroen, the Vauxhall, the Peugeot, Fiat. And, and Fiat, and yeah. so on, um, they are committed to zero emission by 2028 for Vauxhall and the rest of the, the brands by 2030. So they're not going to be producing any ICE vehicles beyond that, internal combustion engines. Similarly, Ford have got a, a, a real commitment to, to drive that change, and they want to be leaders in that market. Mercedes are bringing all electric platforms from 2026. So we're seeing big, big changes. I mean, wow. they won't all be it's electric. It's only three so, years away. No, and, and, but there will be diesel vehicles available as yeah, well. Of course. But they will be all electric platforms specifically for So what vehicles. does Rishi's rule change actually mean then? It, it, it means that we've, we've caused confusion to reign. Great. Because now what we need. the consumer, the people that are walking these shows, thinks, ah, oh, I've got another five years. Actually... You've got another five years in some ways, but the reality is the manufacturers still have the same targets and it will be the same cost to them. They've been working on these plans for three years. So over that three years, they've, they've organized what they're going to be doing to meet the target. Yep. They're not going to suddenly go, oh, take the foot off the gas now. We can just, you know, we can all chill and relax. So, so hang on, in a few years' time, if somebody wants to buy a diesel vehicle, they'll be able to, but there'll be less being manufactured because of this rule. Yeah. And I presume then, with supply and demand, that prices are going to go up uh, again for yes. something else now. Well, so we, we talk about this idea of price parity. So the idea of price parity is all about, everybody's been thinking, electric vehicles will come down in price. Yeah. Not the case. You're going to put everything up around it. The diesel vehicles will become more expensive, not least because Euro 7 comes along in, in um, 2026, we believe, and, and that will push the price up of the diesel variants. They're already nearly equal. I, I, yeah, yeah, you're talking about Euro 7, but of course, but with all the zones that have been put in in London, for Ulez and, yeah. uh, and Bristol, for the cars there, sure. uh, it's not going to make any difference because obviously the, the air is clean with the Euro 6. They're not going to push it up from Euro 6 to Euro 7, are they? Yes, they are. <laughs> and, and, and they are because some of the worst pollutants Don't are from... Euro 6, which are clean at the moment. <laughs> no. yeah. but, so the bit that the Euro 6 solves is the engine. But Euro 7 now starts focusing on the brake discs and the tyre wear. Right. And so what we're going to be seeing is that those vehicles will have to meet, so electric vehicles will come under that legislation as well. So we'll be seeing lots of changes and the prices will go up. And manufacturers are just not going to want to produce diesel vehicles. Now, for this sector, obviously, I think you know there will probably be some... Um, long tail so there'll be some diesel vehicles because that's what people but quickly when technology catches up and we start getting the solid state batteries and, and let's be honest these people in, in here are not price 
bothered that much. I know that they probably want a decent value. Well, it will be if that. it goes up by 25 or 30%. But it's, no, but it's not going to. The diesel vans will go up. So they'll be, they'll be the same price. So you'll just be choosing between, well, okay, I can have a high-tech electric van or I can have this diesel thing. You know, and, and I think... I think gonna, it's going to go. So they are going to go up then, but yeah, the base vehicle will. I think. So we're going to see another increase again. And this is going to happen in the next few years, which, of course, has a knock-on effect to the used market. Yes. Those prices remain buoyant. Yeah. So what a, this, this instability doesn't help. So this, no. this is helpful because this is helping us make a plan. So prices are going to be going up then again. Yes. Uh, we need stability. This is really, really helpful. But what's going to happen to the used market? You know, are they going to stay where they are? Are they going to remain strong? Are they going to go up in price again? We're going to get instability in the used market, but I, I don't know that that's going to apply for your sector. My gut instinct is people are wanting what they want in this sector, and I don't see diesel vans particularly plummeting. These vehicles last a long, long time, and yeah. they hold their value. So I don't expect it to happen there, but I do expect it to be very unstable within the fleet sector, okay. which, but I don't think that's going to impact you potentially. But what that might mean is that some people can pick up a quite a cheap van, and we've got the, the, the do-it-yourself conversions here, haven't we? where you can just put the internals of, of a camper van yep. into the back of the van and that might actually work on but a they're really not, cheap they're no, they're 50, 60, 70, 80 grand plus. They're but not if cheap. You're, if you're, but if you're buying a cheap van, then okay. actually it, it could work. But okay, it could work. Not that I'm And what's your that, insight, Paul, and thus prediction for supply? That's been one of the biggest impacts we've suffered as an industry is a lack of supply, particularly from Stellantis Group, mm-hmm. but also all the manufacturers. So we're seeing new brands on the front radiator mm-hmm. grills these days. Mm-hmm. What's your prediction? That's a really good question. We've got Chinese brands sort of lining themselves up at the at the shores almost. Yeah. We've got Ford and Mercedes and VW all kind of changing their lineup to to meet the need. It's whether or not the fleet demands it or the, 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 the capacity is more than, than fleet demands. Because we, we just heard that VW shut their factory down for a couple of weeks on their ID3 and their Cooper Born electric versions. They're just, you know, managing supply and demand. So it's if the sector has a vehicle that is suitable and will do all of the range and all of the bits and pieces, then I think you've got, you know, you should have supply. Supply yeah. should come, but it might not be in big numbers and towards 2030. You're talking about managing supply and demand, and what we've heard already is you just want to control supply and demand, and in free markets that never works, does it? The market will go the way it goes. You can't buck a trend. So no matter what the powers that be want us to buy and want us to want, ultimately the consumer is king. But what you're saying is the things won't be available for you to buy, and if they are, they're going to be priced up no 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 so I'm, I'm not saying they won't be available i think they will be available more and more and more because manufacturers have got to make them because they have that very clear mandate but not more expensive i i think prices will come together i don't i'm not saying that but they'll they will go up to meet the electric possibly, price yeah, yeah. rather than electric diesel down yeah I do believe that over time and volume which is natural that electric could become a little bit cheaper but i don't know that for sure obviously that the, the economics will 
see and there could be choice big price choices around the battery size the range that you want the weight that you want to carry all of those choices will become very clearly down to price based on the technology that's within the vehicles i was talking to matt earlier today when we were setting up at god knows what time in the morning <laughs> and i was saying we we're talking about electric vehicles and i was saying when it, you know, when it came to that 1.1 little engine that Isigonis was given and said design a car around it he designed the Morris Minor and then they said we need something bigger we need something better he said you're not going to get bigger but you're going to get better he put the same engine in a Mini you know and the 1.4 or whatever 1.6 became the Mini Cooper mm -hmm. tiny engine but he used the technology already to hand have you seen anything around here that you could shrink down to, to, to make a leisure vehicle like a camper van which could actually do a decent range with the battery power we've got now the obvious uh, one that jumps out for me there is the VW ID Buzz. The VW ID Buzz has a range of about 250 miles, and that's realistic-ish in the summer, less so in the winter, the, the range changes. Payload is just about enough to be able to get a couple of people in. Two people in and some knives and forks. Yeah, yeah. No, maybe a bag of crisps. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, and it charges very quickly as well. So yeah. there is a number of things that will show us that there are changes afoot to make, make the difference for this community. Yeah. I think one of the things that's exciting as well, we like to see new brands on the radiator grills, aren't we? Mm. So there's brands from China, like Gili. Is that how you yes. pronounce it? Yeah. I mean, they've just done a camper. It's amazing. Oh, okay. It's phenomenal. There's I have seen it. It's on YouTube. Go okay. and check it out. It is very different to what we see here in the UK and in mm. Europe, but it's a whole new approach to a camper van that's all electric. Uh, it's absolutely pioneering. Mm. Kia as well are launching a van. Is that right? An e-van. Yes. It's, and and I understand they're launching a chassis that might be appropriate yes. for a motorhome conversion. So it'd be interesting to see. Yeah, we see an MAN start mm. to appear on grills. That's new. That's really recent. We might see Kia. You know, and we're going to see a lot more collaboration, aren't we? But it's not all bad news, is it, Paul? We've got no. some good news. An e-van you can drive up to 4250 on a normal car license yep. if it's non-fossil fuel so yep. an alternative fuel so yep. at the moment that's electric yep. that derogation is the correct term has government of, a, of, a, of approved, approved it, yeah. that it's going to be applied to motorhomes all vehicles is that right all vehicles so they've not come out and specifically said motorhomes okay but they're writing the legislation that affirms that all vehicles at the former weight of three and a half tons so the chassis that are your donor vehicles for the motorhome yeah. can go up to four and a quarter tons four four thousand two hundred. so our, our e chassis motorhome or motor caravan under the dvla yeah. would be four and a quarter tons and youngsters and can drive payload. On a B, uh, with a decent payload, and drive on a B license. On a B category license. That's yeah. big so news, isn't it? That's big news. That's like, that's just come out. It's just come out. So there's been a consultation around that derogation, which has been out for five years, 2018, but it it only met the need of a van. So or even chassis conversions of any yep. kind, tippers, drop sides, all of those had to be at three and a half tons. Now we can go to four and a quarter tons and plate them at four and a quarter tons and the B, drive, the B category license holders can drive them. Now, there was a derogation for them to be allowed to drive them, but it required training and it was complex and other bits and pieces. But now we're, we're at the point now where you can drive a 4.25 tonne uh, vehicle well, on a B license uh, and for leisure facilities, you don't need to use... Just electric? Uh, just alternatively fueled vehicles. So it could be electric, but it could be hydrogen, if ever a hydrogen vehicle... Methanol? Came. Anything zero emission. So right. as long as okay. you can prove zero right. emission, then you're good. So, so there if we you've are. got an electric and you can do 425, uh, yeah. you're, you know, you go 40 miles. 
Well, so the, the Ford e-Transit will do 108, and that's based on a 3.9-ton chassis with all the weight that's on it. But as you say, in winter, there's going to be less than that. I would say it would be 108 in winter. I think they're being... Okay, well, that's good news, isn't yeah, it? I, I yeah, would, I would say that that is probably... Knowing that vehicle and knowing what the potential range is, that would be around that. But it is gonna, it's still going to be tricky for a it's while. It's going to be a challenge. I was talking to somebody today uh, on the stand who popped over, and they're from North Wales. Uh, and they're successful business people and they want to open a, a caravan park in North mm. Wales. It's their dream. They've been motorhomers and caravanners all their lives. And, uh, and I said, well, we, we talk a lot about electric vehicles here on the podcast. And they said, I'm glad about that. He said, because we're putting in charging points. But, he said, we know there's no campus. It's for the cars towing caravans. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So we're in that funny no man's land, aren't we? we? We're in a transitional phase. I mean, we t- the word transition is just rolled out for everything. But we've got to remember that. We've got to start and we've got to then grow. And it grows to a point where the J-curve kicks in. And yeah. the J-curve has kicked in in cars. You're right. You're absolutely right. But if I can just throw this in, transition means consumers wait. And consumers waiting are bad for sales. <laughs> Well, I, I, I hear what you're saying, but I think people are, are buying what's available at the moment. I don't, you, you know your market better than, than I, but what we're seeing is that there is a lot of electric vehicles coming and they're being sold. I think there are challenges, definitely, and we need focus yeah. from government on the used market, on the van market, and on the truck market. And once we get all of that and get a firm head of steam, we will see but, uh, that change come. That's true, but Paul, we also need education. So there's a whole load of myth ology and you know mm. pub talk about evs yeah. you know and loads of people have commented and it is fair to say loads lots of people have made a comment on the bailey endeavor ev video we've put out and on mm. socials who mm. are oh, you're just buying your own coffee you know you're going to cremate yourself yeah and this is the accusation that evs explode yeah it's been in the news recently yes. that evs have caused fires in yes. car parks well the luton, the luton car park fire was blamed initially on a tesla plugged in and and the, 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 but that's been categorically disproven but the fire service have said that they say it was a diesel vehicle a diesel range rover specifically yeah they have and, been very specific yeah. which, which struck me as odd anyway obviously they're the experts and i believe them but diesel doesn't ignite unless it's you know an aerosol under pressure does it yeah so it wouldn't have been the diesel bit that went are caught on fire it would have been the electrical systems within the vehicle right so that will have caused the fire yeah and then the explosions come with the fumes yeah. in the tanks yeah. now what what's interesting though is that we, we talk about thermal runaway now in those 1500 vehicles or 1200 vehicles that went up there will have been a significant portion of electric vehicles. Mm-hmm. And we haven't heard that the whole place went to pot. Now, that fire might have burned more intensely because of some of the chemicals, but one, it didn't start with an electric vehicle, and two, electric vehicles are 24 times less likely to catch fire than their diesel counter, diesel 24 petrol times 24 less 24 times less likely. That is an incredible statistic, isn't it? But why are people so keen to jump in and blame electric vehicles if something goes wrong. Why is that? I don't know. I think everybody's afraid of change, right? I think we, we, feel, we feel railroaded into this. That's the problem, isn't it? I think that's part of it. But I think what we, uh, your community is one that embraces sustainability and you know enjoying yeah. life, getting the very best out of life. Well, listen, we want good air quality, don't we? Yeah. We want we want nice environments to operate in, and 
moving to electric gives us that. Now we want the freedom also, and we believe that diesel gives us the freedom of four or five hundred miles on a on a, a tank or whatever it might be, or it's simple. So we've got to get to that point where we provide your community in particular with vehicles that meet think, some. Uh, what of we their need needs. is education, and I've quoted you yes. nem- a number of times that we're going to spend the next sort of, ten years undoing what we've traditionally done for a hundred years. Yeah. You said that in a recent podcast yeah. we did together at Campervan Campo, mm-hmm. and we need that education. Yeah. We need that encouragement, and we we just need experts like you, Paul, to give us the facts. Yeah. You know, so many news channels are just quick to run clickbait stories that you know all these falsehoods that are they're just not true. We need truths. You know, we need brilliant people like you, like Quentin Wilson. Mm. You know, people who are big spokespeople for the industry yeah. to speak up, and we need to get their voices heard. Yeah. So we're hoping to get Quentin on the podcast brilliant. to talk about some of this fud stuff, yeah. the fear of uncertainty and doubt. Yes. You know, it's really real in this industry we are scared of change yeah that's the reality we've been doing what we've been doing for a long time yeah. this change is being forced upon us yeah. so we need your help so we're going to keep in touch with you paul Absolutely. we want you to keep telling us we're going to get updates from you i hope and i hope as you're listening to this or watching it that you will appreciate paul's presence again because you've got the inside track far closer than we have on what's happening outside our industry and what happens there influences what happens here yeah so it's great having you with us today um, please do have a look around the show yeah i'm gonna um, pick it apart and pick some brains thank you again paul great to see you and thank you for coming into our world it, we really did appreciate you having a look around the show and giving you a flavor of what we experience here with with vans and with motorhomes especially paul is actually the fifth most influential man in the world of ev according to some survey somewhere elon musk is number one i want to know who's number two three and four <laughs> are you not on that chart no of course not oh my goodness well we are on the charts by the way as we record this we're number seven uh, in the apple uh, uh, motoring and leisure podcast ahead of really dealers and top gear <laughs> top gear i know we went to number two in new zealand did you see that ah really oh, yeah we went to number five yeah. in the uk and top gear dropped down below number 10 yeah. which is just just incredible isn't it thank and you thank you very much how do we get to number two in new zealand can we go there <laughs> we, we have we have a large woolly listenership obviously a what listenership woolly oh. a woolly woolly <laughs> Uh, as in sheep. Uh, okay, then. Well, I mean, on that interview we've heard from Paul, he let some cats out of bags there about Euro 7, for instance, and ULEZs and CASs, or if you like to call them. I At know. the moment, if you've got Euro 6, you're compliant, and the air is clean and everything's wonderful. But when Euro 7 comes along, he did more than intimate that actually Euro 6s are going to get charged these CAS and ULEZs fees mm, call me a cynic hey you're a cynic hey <laughs> what we need is education we really need to be educated i wish someone would have the profile and given the opportunity by the national media to tell us the truth about the, an ev future it is coming i'm a fan of that change i have to say uh, if you hadn't noticed we need to do it for the sake of our kids and our grandchildren i think they're going to look at us and go what you did what yeah i, th- I think they're going to feel that we were bizarre but we need education this in the ev world there's this big phrase fud we've talked about it before the fear of uncertainty and doubt it, it's prolific and it feels like a forced change upon us uh, and we have no choice in the matter and now we're being told we're going to have to pay more for them as well okay we'll get a choice between diesel and ev for a while 
But, you know, there come a point where diesel fuel is going to go up in price. The ULEZ is going to go up. We just won't be allowed to go anywhere in our diesel-powered vehicles. And that's how the change is going to be kind of, I think, forced through. And that's the point. It's going to be forced. So that creates resistance. And we need educating on, on why is this a good change. Some of the myths that are out there, uh, they just need dismissing. Um, and I wish the press would allow some great spokespeople like Paul and many others the airtime to educate us and give us the facts. Yeah, not least, so we'd like the government to tell us where they're going to make up uh, the money for if we don't have diesel and petrol vehicles on the uh, the, the taxes and the VAT on top of the taxes yeah, exactly. that we're charged. And, you know, call me cynical, but I think the ULEZs and CASs are where they're going to get the money from. Do you reckon? Yeah. They put up electricity as well. Surely there's going to be some, you know, more VAT on energy, and it has to be replaced, doesn't it? It's coming. It's a big chunk of change. It is a big chunk of change. Yeah. Yeah. It's yeah, and and all that creates fear, uncertainty, and thus doubt, and we stop believing that it's a positive change, and that's the problem. That's what needs to be addressed. It's the Motorhome Matt podcast with me, Keith Gooden. And with me, Motorhome Matt. It's brought to you with that leisureshop.com. We normally do a Q&A here, but we're not Q&Aing this week. No, it will be back. Don't worry. <laughs> what we're doing is uh, some of the chats that Matt, Matt chats, had uh, with people at the big show at the NEC. First of all, uh, we are going to uh, hear uh, a Matt chat uh, from with Amanda and Howard. I'm here with Amanda and Howard at the end of a day at the Motorhome and Caravan Show. It's the end of the show. It's Sunday night and they've come back to the stand with some news. Amanda, what's happened? We've bought a motorhome. (laughs) Well done. What did you buy? We bought a Swift. It's the uh, 694. With the island bed. With the island bed at the back. Yeah, Yeah. very nice. A heavy one. Quite heavy, yeah. 4.2 tonnes. Loads of payload. Yeah, 500 kilos, yeah. So when did this journey start for you, Howard? When did it all begin, this search for a motorhome? Because you've not had one before, have you? No, the motorhome show last year. Yeah. Which when we met. Yes, we met. Watched your podcast plenty of times over the last year. And also the Roman Raffords. Very informative. And that's given us the bug to get one. Amazing. And when did you get it? Hopefully June, July next year. Fantastic. Yeah. Well, you must keep in touch and send us pics of you in it. Can't wait to see them. Well done. What a journey home you're oh, having tonight. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah, so excited. Well, keep in touch. Great to see you both again. Yeah. And you, Matt. Thank you very much. Thanks, Matt. What lovely people, Matt. They were indeed. And it's been a bit of a journey for them. And for me, I feel like I know them really well. Uh, and we've had numerous exchanges of various shows. Uh, and it was brilliant to just be part of that moment. They were so excited to be driving home, knowing they're going to own a motorhome. And what a lovely motorhome they've started out with as well. As Amanda and Howard Oldham, they're all a... Oldham and H Oldham H Old Holdham Holdham there you go you had a mat chat with another mat you've made a whole new feature here called the mat chat a mat and mat chat how did you do that (laughs) let's hear from Matt and Matt shall we now I'm here with a star of the show from last year this is Matt good morning Matt hey Matt how are you doing I'm very well now tell us your story very very quickly you came to the show looked at some vans and came back why Yes, so we, last year we came to the show th- not really thinking we were going to buy a camper van. Then we saw the van that we'd been looking at for sale here, the exact one. And so we went off back to our hotel, stayed overnight, and then 
woke up in the morning I said to the wife I think we're going to buy a camper van today <laughs> and she said yeah maybe <laughs> so you came back on the Sunday and bought it didn't you yeah so I came back bumped into you we somehow managed to get in and talk to the salespeople and uh, put down a deposit on the van went home sorted out finance collected it in March and then we've been holidaying in it through the summer a year on where have you been Matt so we've been for a few weekends away quite local to us not too far took my son out for a night out not far from Harrogate went to see some friends down Gloucester way and then we went for a 10-day trip around Scotland went up Ben Nevis went over on the ferry to the Isle of Skye drove all the way back over over the bridge went on a cruise on Loch Ness drove up the whole of the way up Loch Ness to Inverness then drove back down the other side to see some friends in Dunfermline and went to the Edinburgh Festival for a day amazing and you went to Shambhala as well yeah Shambhala Festival went went down there for the weekend that was brilliant it's really good having the van at the festival it's amazing yeah it's so much better than tent camping yeah right okay and now we're here again let's see what happens and what brings you back you're not going to buy another one are you no we've got friends in Birmingham just a bit of an excuse to see them and maybe get some accessories yeah uh, get a motorhome map ba- orange tote bag <laughs> <laughs> you've got one yeah i know i know we've got, another one we've got four now I think. <laughs> love it matt and matt having a chat chat <laughs> there we are so if you see matt's motorhome for sale it'll be incredibly high mileage full of mud and glitter from all the festivals he's been to <laughs> <laughs> sounds like he's having fun though doesn't it yeah I, it was a great story because they came last year so excited to come back on uh, for a second day and make the purchase uh, and so to bump into them again, he very kindly came and said hi. Uh, and it's great to meet him and the kids again and just hear their story. It's, you know, it's real world. It's, I love it. It's great. Some people do ask, what is the benefit of an owner's club, Matt? And, well, yeah, that's uh, you, true. You talked to some people about this. I did, you? yeah. I tell you what I noticed at the show, whether I'm wrong in this, I don't know, but I seem to notice more owner's clubs on the manufacturer's stands uh, than I'd seen previously. Now, one owner's club in particular, the Adria Owner's Club, have always been on the Adria stand at the shows for many years. And I spoke with Paul and Linda Ginger, and I asked them, why join an owner's club? It's for the benefits for the members, really. The club is independent. It's it's fully supported by Adria concessionaires um, and is the only owners club that is. And there are lots of benefits for the members for when they join. Advice and help is probably the main one that a lot of people come to us for. People like yourself are very active in giving good advice out to, out to our members. We have a club website where we can put stuff for sale so the members can look on that. We've also got a closed Facebook page just for the members alone we do newsletters birthday cards for the members that's the main thing but we also do lots of trips and rallies and there's a not everybody is into doing trips and rallies and we fully accept that but we've got a hardcore probably about 70 or 80 units that dip in and out of all the trips and things that we organize and for example we've just got back from greece having done a a three-week tour around greece and that was last week Um, Next year, we're looking at going to the west coast of France, the Peak District for a UK rally, possibly Poland in September. And then every third year, we go down to Slovenia and visit the factory. Um, And we find that is really popular. And if I'm honest, that's the reason I joined the club myself in the first place, was to do the trip to Slovenia and have a look around the factory. It's a brilliant trip, I have to say. What a great country. Yeah, it's absolutely amazing. And it's a beautiful country as well. Beautiful. So, Paul, that gives us a bit of an overview of the Adria Owners Club, which is a very active owners club i can vouch for that myself but linda for you what's personally what's the merit for you of belonging to a club like that 
I think the main thing is that you get lots of new friends. Uh, we've made friendships going back now over 10, 12 years, yeah. and they've remained friends. Obviously, we've got friends who've now sadly no longer with us, and that's quite sad, but we still remember them every single year. They get mentioned. Uh, we always have a fantastic uh, Christmas party where we all get together, have a good old knees up, and drink lots and eat lots of food. So that's good. And also, I think for new people, it gives them the confidence to have someone there to ask questions when you're travelling uh, either in the UK or abroad so I think that's a really good sound thing to do because it's um, quite helpful if you're nervous of travelling anywhere there's always someone on hand and as we say no question is ever silly no. uh, we've all been there we've all done that we've all made mistakes so it's good to have people like that to do things with, yeah. the, with you No absolutely Now Paul the prices this year so many motorhomes over £200,000, so many over £100,000. Is that stopping people buying and joining a club? It doesn't appear to be. Right, <laughs> they're, okay. they're still selling them and um, we're still getting the club members joining us. Um, we've had a couple of inquiries already this morning. People have got orders in but haven't got the motorhomes yet. And the point we make to them is, well, you can join now but your membership will actually take effect from when it's sat on your driveway. So you'll be a member of the club because it's done yearly. It will take effect from when you get the moto. But they're still selling them. Yeah. They're still selling them. There's some very happy dealers around, I have to say. Yeah. And where can people find out more about the Adria in this club? Go on the website at clubadria.co.uk for more information. A special thanks to Paul and Linda for taking the time out to speak to me at the show. Lovely to see you guys. And great to see lots of the club members as well. And the Adria Owners Club is one of the most active clubs, I think. I'm a member, having owned an Adria, or still do. Uh, And, of course, Adria are built in Slovenia, which is why there's such a big trip down to that lovely place every three years so yeah if you want to find out more go to clubadria.co.uk there you are there you have it that's the motorhome map podcast for this week if people want to get in touch Matt what should they do easily if you've got a question you can ask it at mhmp.info forward slash ask Matt well you could leave us a review at mhmp.info forward slash review we'd love that that would be great and don't forget to subscribe on YouTube which is sponsored by our video producers arabasecreative.co.uk Thanks for listening to the Motorhome Matt podcast. Remember to check back here for more episodes full of hints and tips and helpful advice. We'll see you soon for another Motorhome Matt podcast brought to you with thatleisureshop.com. Motorhome Matt.